today as we are continuing, as we're continuing a message that I began last week. And this is a little bit out of the order if you're new to our assembly, the way that I preach and slash teach, and because uh, I'm not necessarily building around a text of Scripture. I'm using a passage that helps create the context. But I found myself, and I'll go ahead and backtrack for just a moment, I found myself just contemplating on the things that Dr. Brassfield had shared with me that I was passing to someone else who was searching for the will of God. I had read this article that Dr. Brassfield had produced a few weeks earlier, and when I was um, attempting to share this information with an individual in our church, as I began to think about it and meditate upon it and also reflect back on my own life, I also was reminded of that. It's a, sometimes it's a, a place of tension in your life when you're at a point of decision. And you're searching to make a right decision for you and your family. Uh, and sometimes that's a, an awkward place. It's a challenging place to be in. But it's a necessary place. And I also said last week that this information I remember was passed to me many years ago by a, an aged member of our assembly and said, Pastor, if you'll just really look at a person's life, that if they'll look back as they age, they'll find that their life has been shaped primarily by three or four major decisions. And you're either, and I said this, I've gone back and listened to the message, you're either living in the strength of the right decision or you're playing catch-up attempting to recover from the poor decision that you made. Come on. And now, when you're a child of God, you have a desire in your heart for the will of God to be done. Jesus taught us to pray, not our will, Lord, but thy will be done, correct? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. I say it, the steps of a good man, a good woman are ordered of the Lord. God delights in ordering our steps, and we're grateful. We want to be somebody that learns to hear the voice in the direction of God. God, does it. God speaks through the inward voice of the Holy Spirit, but he also speaks circumspectly sometimes and through circumstances and situations around you. Sometimes God uses that as a means and a way to direct your paths. So we're going to read this text of Scripture to familiarize ourselves with it one more time. But as we do so, I remind you it is not the text that I'm going to be elaborating on fully, but it's the context that was created through this text of scripture. So it's 2 Kings chapter number 3, and you can remain seated for just a minute, but we're going to begin reading at verse number 11, then we'll stand in a couple minutes just to honor the, the, the word of the Lord. Verse number 11, it says, Jehoshaphat said, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? This is the 11th verse of the, of the third chapter of 2 Kings. It's on the screen in front of you. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shapheth, which poured water on the hands of Elijah, which meant he served Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And as Elisha, and just for, because I don't want to go back and do this in a moment of time, I'll go ahead and do this now. The text of this scripture, just real quickly, is, is the coalition of kings has come together because that they have lost uh, superiority over Moab. And the kingdom of Israel is divided Israel and Judah, ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. The southern kingdom had a righteous remnant. Jehoshaphat is the king. Jehoram is the son of Ahab and Jezebel, which we know are notorious in the word of God as being the evil king and queen that brought in Baal worship and led the people into apostasy. 
And so Elisha's response is based upon the fact that Jehoram has continued to a degree in the sins of his father. And he, he almost would refuse to acknowledge him if it were not for the presence of Jehoshaphat. And so he begins to speak, and that's why we'll pick it up again, the 13th verse. It says, Elisha said unto the king, What have I to do with thee? Get to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said to him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of, of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Won't you stand up and we'll finish the reading of Scripture with just these final three verses of Scripture. It's a unique passage of Scripture. And so now with a prophetic anointing, uh, the, 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 there was a stimulus that was made in the heart of the prophet by means of the minstrel. The minstrel had an anointing. The anointing in the minstrel as he played the instrument, it stimulated the spirit of God that was upon Elisha as a result of carrying the mantle of Elijah. And Elisha then begins to prophesy. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that you may drink, both you, your cattle, and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And I want to draw your attention back to the 11th verse one more time because this is what I used as a point of reference to create the context. Here in the 11th verse, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord. And so I began to share with you last week, and I want to finish this message today, inquiring of the Lord, determining God's direction in your life, how to determine God's direction in your life. And I don't know if that's you today. I don't know if there's a major decision in front of you, but learning these principles can help you avoid the decision-making process that maybe you have failed in in the past. Getting this a part of your spiritual DNA will help you in the future to, to continue to wait on the Lord until you have His leading. Right? To have the Lord's lead. That's what we want, isn't it? I want to be pleasing to Him in every part of my life, including the decisions that I make. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful to be in this house, thankful to be amongst men and women of God, men and women of faith. I pray, Lord, today that preaching will come easy in this house. Let the spirit of Father God, a teacher, be upon me. Let the heart of a pastor be in me. Let the gift of an evangelist, God, and a prophetic anointing fall all in this room. Let the people be receptive to the word of the Lord. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. And you can be seated. Thank you. Now, I'm so sorry, but if you were not here last week and maybe you didn't get, I do have a handout and I have copies, additional copies that are right here. And I know one of the ushers would not... Bother, uh, be bothered at all by passing that out today. So if that's you, quickly slip your hand up. I should have done that earlier. Maybe you were not aware that we have this sheet of paper because this is some of the information. This is exactly what Dr. Brasfield sent to me, word for word. It was taught by Lexi, and I've just simply passed that on to you. And I think there'll be enough if you didn't bring yours back with you today. So without going into the full uh, repeating of the entirety last week, we were able to go over the first five questions that Dr. Brasfield used uses as a means to help leaders discover the will of God. And then in, in pursuit of direction, he often asks eight additional questions, and we drew the line after the third. And we're going to go back for just a moment of time and just touch on just a couple of these things in, uh, as a result of last week's message before I pick it up at number four. One of the things that I wanted you to see just real quickly is the fifth one. Do the circumstances demand it? That was in the top part of this sheet, how to find the will of God. Do the circumstances demand it? As 
Dr. Brassfield and Sister Kathy happened to be in service with us, and I was meeting with him following the service. That particular one stood out to him, and his thoughts as he was sharing with me further, and I want to bring this up to you, the circumstances demand it. How many know sometimes that the will of God is often determined, what is it, retrospectively, as you look back? You look back. You didn't know it when you responded. You just, just thought, I've got to do it. I have to do it. Do the circumstances demand it? I shared with you concerning the lepers that the Bible tells us about in the book of 2 Kings when they chose to get up and go into the Assyrian camp. They were not able to go into the city of Samaria because they were lepers, but they, there was a, the city had been besieged. And you remember real quickly, just to put this so you can understand it, they finally arrived at the place where they said, why sit here till we die? We've got to do something. Sometimes the circumstances of life determine that you act and that you react. You don't have time to call a prayer meeting. Sometimes you just have to simply go. And Dr. Brassfield shared something very unique with me last week, and it struck a chord, and I want to echo this real quickly. He drew the attention to Simon the Serenian, the Scripture tells about. Is anybody uh, familiar with Simon Serenian? Simon Serenian is who actually carried the cross of Jesus. He was just standing in the crowd. Mark, all three gospel writers record him by name, and I believe two of which record his sons. It's Passover. He's standing in the crowd. He's there because he's come for, from uh, the, the land of Cyrene. And uh, as a result, and many don't really know of his, uh, of his background, it's possibly that he's a Jew that has been uh, scattered into the uh, adjacent communities outside of Israel. But he did not get up that morning and say, I'm going to carry the cross of Jesus. He's just simply standing in the crowd that day when the circumstances demanded it. He was chosen out by a Roman soldier to help carry this condemned uh, man, Jesus Christ, cross to the hill that we know as Golgotha. And what's unique about this is that what history tells us, and this is a little bit of speculation, is that the Bible doesn't mention Simon any farther than this. But they put together some things that possibly give us a little bit of insight to what could have taken place from this. If you look, uh, you'll find that the people of Serene, the scripture tells us, as a result of the persecution of the early church in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, that they scattered from Jerusalem and they ended up going to Antioch. And the Bible tells us in chapter 11 of the book of Acts that the most famous or the second most famous church in all of the first century was the church at Antioch, and it was started by people from Serene. And with this, it's noted by uh, historians that it's highly possible that Simon was actually one who actually was a founder or a founding member of the Antioch church. And when you read the Apostle Paul's writing and he gives his, um, his letter of, to the book of Romans and he's sharing about farewell and how, say hi to this person, he mentions Rufus by name. And when he mentions Rufus, he says, uh, he says some kind words about Rufus and then he says, his mother and mine. The, the, the mother of Rufus had ministered to Paul to the degree that he considered him uh, her almost like a, a stepmother in his life, someone that had ministered to him. And so historians tell us that they believe that that Rufus that's mentioned in Romans chapter number 16 is the same Rufus who is the son of Simon who was just standing there in the crowd that day when their father was jerked out of the crowd and was given the responsibility to carry the cross of Jesus up to the hill that you and I call Golgotha. And the point of reference is, is you'll also look back in Acts chapter number 13, the Spirit of God sent Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey from the church at Antioch. 
And so I'm saying all of that to say sometimes the will of God, you look back and you realize, wait a minute, I didn't know it, but that was the beginning of something happening in my life. And that God just simply unfolded things in front of me. And I just had to act. It was no time to, 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 to call the prayer meeting. I just responded to the circumstances. That was one of the questions, and that was one of the points that Dr. Brassfield wanted to echo in our lives is that sometimes circumstances demand it, and if that's the case, you've got to just go with it. Come on, somebody. Amen? And so let's go a little bit farther, and we're going to go ahead, and without taking too much time, I just want to remind you real quickly that as you're praying about the will of God and you're searching for the will of God, I want to say this so sincerely. It's sometimes difficult to determine it. It is. That's just the reality. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. And maybe he knew what the, obviously he did know what the will of God was, but he was looking for an out. He was looking for a way. You remember his famous prayer in the garden called Gethsemane where he had, read, he had gone many times. He prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, if there be any other way. You know, he knew what he believed was the revealed will of God, but in that moment he's asking the Lord if there's another way, if there's another route that I can take, then let me find that direction. So he's searching for the will of God. David inquired of the Lord more than one time in the Word, especially after Ziklag. You can remember in 1 Samuel 28 when he lost all of his family, when the, uh, the, the Amalekites invaded Ziklag and stole all of his family. And when the men that were with David found out about it, they grew angry and they pointed their finger at David. You remember that passage of Scripture? That's the famous passage where David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. And then he called for the ephod and he prayed and he inquired about the will of God. And I I know there are people under the sound of my voice. Some of you are still there right now. You heard the message last week, no light from heaven fell on your circumstances as of yet. That's all right. We're going to wait on God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stop reacting in the flesh. We're going to start responding in the spirit. We're going to let the Lord lead us. And so Elijah gained direction with his head in a mantle. Paul's life was marked by prophetic direction or compelling of the spirit of God. His spirit was stirred within him at times. Gideon asked God to reveal his will through a sponge. We call it a fleece in the word of God. But that was the tool that God actually used to bring direction for Gideon as he was leading the armies of Israel in warfare. And then the passage of scripture that I chose today, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, the two kings united together in choir of the Lord. And so I just wanted you to know today, God's people have historically found themselves in pursuit of the will of God. And the reason why this is, is because we are not our own. We don't just make our own decisions. When you really know that you were bought with a price, you don't belong to you, and so you are His, and everything and all that you are is about giving God glory. I want my life, whether I, and I, I want to say this, I can't view success as an indicator of the will of God. Can I say that? This, this is free. I wrote that in the notes this morning. Success or profit is not the indicator that I was in the will of God. Faithfulness is the indicator that I was in the will of God. Being a blessing to other people is an indicator that I was in the will of God. Growing as a person, maturing as an individual is an indicator that I was in the will of God. Growing spiritually, learning to develop, that's an indicator. How many of you know that God often uses peace to indicate whether or not you're in the will of God? Peace, the apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, or excuse me, Colossians 3, Paul said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. 
That's actually a term, the word rule there is actually a term taken from the sports community. We're in, like in today's time, an umpire. An umpire, the play is made at first base. And so the pitch and the runner have seemed to come together almost simultaneously. And the umpire's got to make a decision. Peace becomes the, ma- the means that we learn the decision making. We learn to a degree. We simulate. I was in the military and oftentimes we simulated things. And we simulate life in our heart and mind as we make decisions. And sometimes if you don't have peace, you, you, when you don't have peace, church family, that's an indicator back up and wait on God. I've found out in my own life, I can do anything as long as I've got the peace of God on my heart. Come on now, as long as I've got God's peace residing in my spirit, I can face the challenges that are in front of me. But without God's peace, that I want to draw back because I don't believe God's going to lead me into something that I'm not going to receive as peace in my heart and life. And so we concluded last week, as we let's drop down to the second passage here, the second part, when speaking to people about direction, he asks questions. What are you gifted to do? Your gifts are given by God, DNA. They're a clue to his plan for your life. We elaborated on this. What are you equipped to do? And I, uh, uh, in that process, wanted to differentiate between gifting and training because gifts still need to be trained. Come on, you still got to work at some things. And I know, I want, to, I want to be honest, how do preachers train? Well, you train in a seminary, yes, that's true. You can go to a, a Bible school and you can learn, but you know what? I train in a prayer closet. And when I was first young in ministry to, tra- to speak publicly, because let me tell you, if you don't speak publicly uh, very good, let me just tell you, uh, I remember what John Maxwell said. He said a lot of preachers that aren't very good pulpit communicators preach long messages as if, if they preach longer, they'll get better at it. I want y'all to think about that for just a little while. And that's just the reality. But what, what do us preachers do? I remember when I was first getting the call of God in my life, I would go in the woods. And I still to this day will do the very same thing. I'll walk in the pasture in the field. And if I've got a word on my heart, I preach that sermon to the birds, to the grass, to the, to the air. I just, I share, I got I to gotta temper it. I got to develop it in my own heart and life so that when I stand up here, I'm a little bit familiar with it to be able to convey these truths. We got to develop the gifts that God's given us. And there, so there's a developing process that we got, that we, we learn the will of God through this oftentimes. What are you burdened to do? And this is where we closed last week. And I separated that. And, and, and I want to draw your attention to it today. That's about calling and attention and focus. And that's where we're going to pick it up here at number four. What do you have the desire to do? And this is about passion. And passion is oftentimes an indicator for some, but not always, as to the will of God. And I'm going to do my very best to elaborate because if this is the one that, that, there, that I, I, didn't, I didn't develop as much in my personal uh, development of this p- particular passage, because passion is often a plus, but it's not always necessary. Because there are sometimes you have to do some things that it's the will of God for your life, and you don't have a passion for it. Come on, I want to be honest now. There are sometimes that you know it's your purpose to be at a particular place that you call your occupation, right? But there, you may not have passion for it at that particular moment. You can't abandon your purpose because your passion has waned at some. And so you got to walk in purpose in that particular moment. But if you are blessed in the season where you have passion for what you do, then thank God for it. Come on, somebody. Amen. 
I want to share about that for just a moment. Jeremiah said it was like fire shut up in our bones. And so today, there's a difference in burden and passion. See, I can be burdened to do something, yet fail to gain the energy to do it. But passion comes in the similar wording as compassion. The word compassion means it's a yearning in the bowels. When you've got a yearning in the bowels, there's a response to it. And when there's a burning fire inside of you, you're going to react to it. You're going to respond to it. And if you're, again, blessed to the degree that God has put a passion inside you for something, then it will not go away. You're going to continue. There's a difference, as I said last week, to have a burden and a passion. I can fail to meet that burden, but if I've got fire shut up in my bones, like Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, I tried to do something else, but I couldn't do anything else because of this passion inside of me. The reality is today I want you to know there are times that people abandon the call of God in their heart and life because they're not as passionate about part of what they're doing right now. The reality is, is that you won't always be passionate about every area in your life that you know is the will of God. But don't make the mistake of selling out the will of God for your lack of passion while you feel passionate about something else. You know, I believe you can agitate passion for what you're doing. If you know it's the will of God, I believe you can stir that spiritual gift up. I was putting in my own notes for just a moment, and I thought about, you know, you've got to draw to the attention that you've got to recognize that what I do, there's a part of what I do and who I am that sometimes I have to do some things that I don't have passion for in order to get to the thing that I do have passion for. Now, I told you wrong figures last week when I was telling about my own personal testimony of when that prophetic word was given to me, and I put the date of February and of 2003. That's when I became the pastor of First Assembly. When I went to Maranatha Assembly in Shirley was 1996, seven, it was six, uh, seven years uh, prior to that. But I want you to know today, I've been 24 years in pastoral ministry, and there are some things today that I am not as passionate about as I once was. I'm just being honest with you. There are some things, but you know what I'm just as passionate about today as when I first arrived at Shirley to preach the gospel and be the pastor of that assembly, and that's teaching and preaching the word. And so I'll do the things that I'm not as passionate about so that I can still have the opportunity to do the thing that I am most passionate about. And I still believe in the word of the Lord, and I believe in having anointing on my life, and I believe in having a distinction so that when I come to this house, that I can say, God, I have pillowed my head on the bosom of your son, and I have felt the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ in my life. And yes, I got a word in my heart. I, don't, I tell you this all the time, I don't have a carbon copy. Today, I got a little bit of a carbon copy word, I guess, since I borrowed it from Dr. Brassfield. But at the same time, there's a freshness about it. That means something to me. It means something to me because I want, the Bible tells me as a pastor to feed the flock of God. To feed the flock of God. So when you come out here, I told you, and I'm trying to do this very respectfully, I'm not that much concerned about whether you get a cookie or a coffee in the foyer. I'm sorry, I know you may get aggravated at me. I'm not concerned about that at all. I'll tell you what the reality is for me. I want you to have a word. I want you to have meat. I want you to have something in your spirit so that when you go out of those doors, you've got something you're going to think about all week. It's going to be down your spirit. You're going to have some principles of faith that you're going to be able to make better decisions in the future. Because let me tell you, if you'll make better decisions, young person, listen to me right now, especially the young adults, if you'll make better decisions right now, You'll set the precedence for generations to come of a family and a history of a family that will unfold in the earth of men and women of God.
who are following the leading of God in their lives. But you got to get these things inside you right now. Right now, come on now, church family. So we want passion for what we do, and that's often an indicator. The next three verses are number five, six, and seven. As a prelude to those, let me say this real quickly. Each of these three deal directly or indirectly with affecting your family. So before I begin to share, and this is in one sense a very pastoral word today, but let me share these with you. The role that you play and the relationship that you have with your family often determines or will definitely have impact on your decision making. Your family has to be considered. Come on, church family. You've got to consider your family. And so number five, you've got this. He asked the question, what do you have the cooperation to do? This is about support systems, including spousal and financial, as you get ready to make decisions. And so I want to jump to the latter of the three, financials, for just a moment of time. The spirit of Jojo, which is the spirit of Dave Ramsey, doth rest upon me today. Come on, somebody, Joe. You feel that all the way in the sound booth up there, brother? Let me tell you sometimes how to determine the will of God for you. Very quickly, it's to sit down with a calculator and a pen, and it's to look at where you are at financially. Oftentimes, that can be an indicator of the will of God for your life. Because sometimes you've got to prove yourself faithful in this one area before God's ever going to promote you in another area. And if you've got a habit and a cycle of continually being in debt, indebtedness, living beyond your means, then God, if you can't manage your resources, how can God trust you to do more or potentially to affect the resources of other people and you ain't even got your own house set in order? Isn't this what Jesus said in Luke chapter number 14? He said, if a man is about to build a building, before he ever digs into the earth, before he begins to buy concrete and mortar, before he begins to hire and contract out um, you know, laborers to come in, he's got to sit down first and count the cost. Now, I want to say this concerning that. I know there are times that you've got to step out in faith. I'm not saying that God is limited to what's in your bank account, right, for the will of God, because I believe in a God of more than enough, and you know this preacher believes in miracle money. But I'll tell you, miracle money often comes in response to people that are handling resources correctly in the will of God. And oftentimes, if you are not handling your resources correctly, then God can't bring you to a new place in your life as you determine. So take care of that. Come on. Number five, that was cooperation, your support systems, including spousal and financial. Number six, what do you have the connections to do? This is about network, Dr. Brassfield said. This is about uh, network and opportunities. God had brought Elijah and Elisha together. Jehoram was now allied to Jehoshaphat. Jesus had rallied 12 men that were his closest uh, allies and supporters the reality is, as we search for and determine the will of God, we often need partnerships to accomplish a calling and goals that are in our heart and our life that we believe is the will of God. Come on, somebody. You need partnerships. And if you're that person, let me say this to you. I'm jumping down and get ahead of myself. If you're that person that can never work together with anybody else, hello? I knew it'd get real quiet in here on that point. I should have wrote it in the notes. Be prepared for quiet response from the congregation. 
then you will probably, listen to this, if you're that person that's got to have it your way all the time, you show up with an edge, you don't cooperate and you don't elaborate and you don't connect and you don't consider other people, you never work together and you never come together in a cohesiveness with anybody else, let me say this to you today, you probably will never fully realize God's perfect will for your life. Because God brings people together for common purposes. I can't pastor this church family alone. I've got other men and women who came together in a like-mindedness and a spirit, and we cooperate and we work together uh, for the common good of this body. And you find yourself in those particular situations. And in life, sometimes God can speak. It can be business. It can be family. It can be friends. And sometimes it can be entire strangers. Let me give you a couple of examples from the business world that have taken place right here in our community and right here in our own church. And Dr. Brassfield's not here, so I can use this, and he probably won't go back and listen to this message. But Dr. Brassfield, several years ago, was uh, started to try to develop into the building world a little bit in order to get income for when he and Sister Kathy retired. How many of you know it's good to have a second stream of income? Well, Lord Jesus, I don't know why I don't get better responses like that. It's better to have multiple streams of income. So in case one dries up, Elijah, if Elijah had continued to sit at the brook Cherith, Right? That one dried up, but God had another one provided for him. And so that's a powerful thing if you've got multiple streams of income. Multiple streams of income. And so, so he, several years ago, well, here's how it came about. Listen to this. This is about listening to God. And, and I know sometimes you've got to take risks. Remember when Destiny was in a small building right here off of Cersei Street behind the courthouse, just in a small uh, complex. Dr. Brassel was having a young man work on his, uh, inside the building, just doing a little bit of like trim work or something. And he was just a young guy getting started in contractors, and he was walking past him. Dr. Brassel was seated, and he was walking past from where he'd been working, and the Spirit of the Lord quickened in his heart and said, ask him to be in business with you. Come on now. That takes faith to respond. Usually when I hear stuff like that, it's like, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. <laughs> but Dr. Brassfield had learned to hear the voice of God. And so he set him down, a young man, many years separate from him, and they formed a partnership without even having a pre-existing relationship. And he's become the contractor. He does the labor. Dr. Brassfield arranges for the finances and manages. And many of the apartments that are on down the road for us right here off of 11th Street, that's their apartments. And that's a tool they don't make income off of it now. They're sewing it back into it so that when they hit retirement age. Now, see, some of you can look at that. And you know what? I look at that with admiration. I look at that with admiration because he's, the Bible says, consider the ant. The Bible says the ant will work when she can work so that she can rest when it comes time to rest. And so I want to encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be responsive. Several years ago, Randy and I formed a partnership. And during the days and the time of the, of the oil and gas industry when it came through, and I can still remember, Randy, we were standing up under the overhang right here. It was in like 2007. We were under the overhang, and the oil and gas industry was making its way into Hebrew Springs. How many remember when it came thrusting in? It, it barely came in announced, and it came in, and it ravaged the community in one sense. And Randy and I were standing underneath along with another member of the church we were underneath the overhang there and we were just talking about it and I brought up I brought up the point that we need to uh, find a way I said T.D. Jakes and that's where I echo these words to you today T.D. Jakes I'm telling you about the will of God 
I'm trying to tell you about how to learn about the will of God. And so uh, T.D. Jakes had said that there were four rivers that fed the Garden of Eden. And he's the one that made the reference point that said that we need another river of income in our lives rather than just the income that you have. And that had always struck a chord with me. And I was standing there and I said to Brother Randy, I said, Randy, we need to find a way to tap into what's happening even if you don't own land. Because in the early days of the oil and gas industry, the only folks that were making money were people that had land. Right? Because they were coming in, they were obligating all the land, you know, and doing the contracts, the leases. And so if you didn't own any land, then you were just watching it all take place. And so he and I, he remembered that conversation. And finally, one day, a man walked into his shop and said, Randy, you ought to think about uh, starting a business that would go and become a rig cleaning business. And so he shared that with me. And I said, Randy, if I can get in at this particular time, let me get in. And so me and Sherry scraped up and scratched up enough money to be able to buy in as a 20% owner. And I'll tell you what, it was hard the first couple of months uh, to, to have enough money because you had to float salaries and income and everything. But once it got going, it became, and Larry, or excuse me, Brother Randy said, let's name it Rio, which in Spanish meant river. It was called Rio Rig. And for five years, it brought increase into my life and into Randy's life. And it was a great tool. And I had four children that were going to be in college at the same time. And I knew that Sherry and I was going to have a tempest moment one day, right? We started having all these children unfold, you know, and we knew what the cause of that was. And and we made no apologies for it, glory to God. So we knew that there was going to come a day when you've got six children separated by 10 years that you're going to have a moment. You're going to have multiple children in college potentially at one time, and we had four. But because I had another stream of income, Coming in during that time, I made it through that critical time period, and I thank God for it. And so it was the will of God, but that will of God came about because of a partnership. So partnership is a tool often that God can use to reveal His will for your life. Number seven, what do you have the time to do? What time? How many of you know God is a God of season? Well, the demands of life, marriage, family. Some measure of stability. This is the point that Dr. Bassett wanted to echo in our hearts and lives. There's got to be, if you're making decisions, there's got to be some stability for your children. Come on, church family. We want to give our children the very best potential for their future, don't we? By giving them stability. And listen to what I want to say to you right now. It could be the right compelling and the right calling. It could be the wrong time. Because God's a God of season. Jesus said when he was asked to turn water, or excuse me, when he was asked to help the wedding at Cana of Galilee, remember how he reproved his own mother? And I, don't, I want to caution you of reproving your own mother. That's usually the wrong thing to do. But Jesus said, what, hast thou, what have I to do with thee, woman? My time is not yet. But he still responded, turned the water into wine. But a few days or weeks later, the Bible says he went forth preaching, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time has come. So he knew the time. So you got to learn to know the time. Again, you can have the right calling and the right compulsion in your heart, but it may not be the right time. And when it's not the right time, you know what you got to do? you got to wait on God you got to trust the Lord. You don't give up, but you believe that it's going to be the right time. I found in my own life as I was waiting on the Lord, that's when typically I made the wrong decisions. Does anybody remember when Abraham had a promise that the stars 
with them in comparison to the, his descendants in number. And after 13 years of waiting for the promise to come to pass, and it didn't come to pass, he stumbled through the tent of Hagar, and he produced Ishmael, and the Middle East has not been the same since. And there's been conflict from that time till this very day in which we live. And so, but I tell you what, God waited 12 more years before he came back to Abraham. And he came back to Abraham at a time when he's no longer able to produce children. Because God's time and your time can be totally different. Your time can be at a place in a moment where you think it's right, but God knows when it's right. God was going to bring forth an heir, an heir that was going to come miraculously, born of the Spirit of God. The Bible plainly says that Abraham's loins were incapable of producing a child. And the womb of Sarah had grown old, and she was incapable of producing a child. But the Bible says, come on, I feel Jesus right there. But when the fullness of time came to Abraham and Sarah, God blessed them. And she received the promised seed. And I want you to know today, it can still be the will of God. Some of you have got dreams, you've got the call, you've got the wisdom. God's given it to you. It's tucked away, then wait on it. Wait on it. Let the Lord bring it to pass in Jesus' name. And lastly today, and everybody said amen. What do you have the grace to do? Number eight, and I want to talk about this one in closing. What do you have the grace to do? The will of God. Let's go back and let's reflect as we get ready to close. The grace to do. We're talking about the will of God. We're talking about making better decisions. As a pastor, let me tell you, this is a pastoral message. I know this is not the, the shouting message that sometimes we get used to in response and, and want to respond to. But at the same time, I want to say this. Listen, our lives and the future of our families will be forever better if we learn how to determine the will of God and make better decisions for our families. Is that right today? Do you believe God? Now, I believe God gives us some lateral move. I don't believe that every day when you stand in front of your closet and you say, Lord, would, should I wear green or purple today? Lead me by your Holy Spirit. Obviously, I couldn't find much leading this morning whatsoever, if that's the case. So I'm not saying, now some may be, you may be so spiritual that you're able to determine, you know, and you, you, you narrow even the choice of your meal down to the will of God every day. I'm not going to go quite that far in that extreme. I'm talking about potentially major decisions that you're making. Whether or not I wear red or black, it's not going to affect my family at all. But if I go out and make a decision of a purchase, hello, and then spend the next 15 years trying to recover from that poor financial decision, then I have altered my family in the negative. And if somebody could have come along and given me some principles and precepts, then I can help you avoid. And that's what my pastor's heart is today. That's why I'm here to bring this message to you. My heart is towards you and your family. I want you to learn how to follow God's will for your life. Come on. And the people that are walking in the will of God are the most contented of all people. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Let me tell you, there are no, should be no comparisons. Hello, I'm not preaching to 30,000 people. I'm not preaching to 20,000. I preach to about 200 every Sunday morning. But I tell you what, I'm just as contented as T.D. Jakes is when he walks across the stage at the potter's house. Or Rod Parsley when he's preaching up at Columbus, Ohio. 
I'm just as contented because I'm doing what God's called me to do. Glory to God. And that's where I want you to be. I want you to have the revelation, this is what I was called to do. This is what I'm doing. This is my season. That's a word that Alyssa uses a lot. A lot. She's like, this is my season or this is not my season. And so, but what do you have the grace to do? And what does that mean? And we're going to close with this and right, right here. What do you have the grace to do? He added to this at the end. It's a familiar passage in Proverbs that says, your gift will make room for itself. The gift, the man's gifting her, will make room for himself. I want to say this to you real quickly. You can't just knock down and take. You have to pursue and then wait. Did y'all hear that? Let me say it again. Let's read this. We're closing with this now. Listen, but let's make sure we close correctly. Let's absorb this into our heart. You can't just knock down and take. You have to pursue God and wait. You have to go and yet let God. Let me say this to each one of you. God has to open the door. You gotta have the favor of God. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you gotta abide in the vine, because of yourself, you can do nothing. You can go out and think I've got all the skills and the tools and I've got all these, but if I don't have the grace to do it, then I'm gonna fail miserably. I've got to have God's favor. I've got to have his blessing. I mean, you know, I can endure the difficult days, the most challenging days of my life, if I've got the grace of God upon my life. If I've got God's goodness and his grace and his kindness working in my life, then I'll have the ability. I may have to take, like the old song says, one day at a time, Lord Jesus, right? And I may not always project a five-year window, a 10-year view. I may not be able to look that far. I may be just trying to get to the end of one day today, but I can do it because God's given me the grace to do it. And I want you to know that when you have that in your life, then that's a confirmation that you're in the will of God. You can't do it even if you give your best effort. I remember when the Israelites were brought to the Red Sea. How many of you know they had the Egyptian army behind them and they had the Red Sea in front of them. They were literally closed in. There was no way out. But they had to wait on God. You got to wait on God to open and to part and to make a way for you and your family. There are times that you're in the right place and you have the gifting, but no room has been prepared. Don't run to do something else. Wait and give God time. If you're in the right place, compelled by the Spirit, then your giftings will eventually begin to surface, and God's grace will be realized in your life. Your giftings will not be hid too long. They will eventually begin to emerge. I'm going to go ahead and tell you just a little bit of story, and I don't know where all this is going to go today, and if it was found out later, I might get in trouble for it, but I'll go ahead. Sometimes I step out and say things that I just have to play catch up with in the past, but Alyssa is not with us today because she's at Otter Creek Assembly because she went down there this past Wednesday per invitation because they were having a, a special banquet on Wednesday night. And they needed, they, they were struggling to have people come and arrange it and decor it. And that's part of Alyssa's giftings. So she goes down there and she works from 1 o'clock all the way to the end of the banquet. And before the night is out, Pastor Sandra, who co-pastors with Pastor John, took her up in the office and offered her three jobs. And so she's down there today to at least take a temporary one to see where it will go from there. Let me tell you, church family, your gifts will make room for you. Wait, but you got to wait on God. you got to trust the Lord. If you try to force yourself into a situation, that I'll tell you what, you're going to alienate other people around you. But if you wait on God and wait on His grace and allow His goodness to grow in your life, if you truly believe that God orders your steps, then He's going to make a way for you. 
And I want to close as I invite Daryl to join me on the platform if he's here today at the end. Uh, with the, I want to ask him today. And I want to ask you to stand up. And we're going to close in a little bit different way than we did last week. And this is a very pastoral message. I make no apologies for it because I know something. I want you to hear this today. Your life and my life will be far better if we all make better decisions. Well, 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 well. I don't know if I've ever had anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I've got to talk to you. Things are going so good, I can't stand it. <laughs> this thing is just, just out of control. I just can't handle it any longer. I'm not, I don't think so, but I have a lot of people come to me with failure in marriage, job issues, addiction issues, numerous things that we as pastors deal with in the lives of people, and you can trace it back, if we will, to a moment when a decision was in front of them. And they made the wrong decision. Hello? If you make the right decisions, I'm telling you, the lives of those around you are going to be forever better. All of us collectively will be stronger. We know that God orders the steps of his people. Get that in your heart today, would you please? God orders your steps. Inquiring of the Lord, determining God's direction for your life. I want to ask our church family, if you would, we're going to pray.